I'm your co-host Rebecca. And I'm your co-host Rach. This week we have a guest with us, Stephen. Hi. <laughs> and welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 15, The Tales of Ba Sing Se. While waiting for their appointment to see the Earth King, the gang go on a series of mini-adventures together and separately. Meanwhile, Zuko and Iroh continue to live their new lives in Ba Sing Se. Alrighty, we have a kind of unusual episode today, I think. Mm-hmm, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think it's fun that we also have a guest on this episode, so we get lots of different perspectives on an episode which has lots of different perspectives. Yes. Mm, seems fitting. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Thanks for having me. I'm... <laughs> We're excited. <laughs> yeah. It's always fun to talk to different people, I think, about how they got into the show, and I would love to know uh, how you started watching Avatar, and then also maybe some of your favourite and least favourite characters that you have. Uh, so uh, it was actually my brother who started watching Avatar first um, and it was one of those things where he kept on um, recommending it um, and <laughs> then eventually um, I watched it um, and then yeah I, I might have become an even bigger fan than he is um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so much so that um, he's very good with um, carpentry so he made me soccer's boomerang as a uh, present <gasps> I'm jealous. I'll have to post a picture later. As for favorite characters, yeah, I think I think Sokka is my man. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate his um, his sense of humor. I think I'm naturally drawn to characters who who like you know quipping. He's more than just you know the comic relief character. You know he's got he's got layers. He's very intelligent. He's like the the brains of the operation. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, but you know, then he's got all these other layers um, on top of him as well. So, yeah. Yeah, soccer, I think, is, is my guy. Cool. <laughs> That's a great choice. I love soccer as listeners to this podcast know. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's, he's just a really fun character. I'm also really looking forward to... We were at the Avatar reunion uh, that they did online, and uh, his voice actor, Jack DeSena, mentioned that there is an episode where he kind of goes off on his own. Yeah. Sokka's master. Yeah, and I'm excited to get to that because I think that would be an interesting one to just kind of examine his role as the like comic relief and have him go off on his own. Speaking of Sokka. Yes, <laughs> good segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Sokka's Poetry Society. And this week is a very, very special edition of Sokka's Poetry Society. You finally understand the context behind this. <laughs> I know. We get to go to Sokka's Poetry to Society. I know! I had a thought that maybe, like, obviously this is a retcon because, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but we could think that Sokka's Poetry Society was established after he got kicked out of that other club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he founded his own society. <laughs> I heard the music cue in this episode and I was like, oh, Ember on the stairs. Yeah, I was excited when I heard it too. I was like, oh my god, it's the one that Rachel uses. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I've written a poem, and Stephen has also written a poem. Stephen, would you like to go first, since you are the guest? Uh, certainly, yes. Um, so, um, as Sokka and um, the mistress of the poetry house, or whatever we want to call it, um, <laughs> <laughs> both do haiku, um, I decided to do uh, four 
haiku about the Ooh. current gang. Um, so I'll just go through them. So airbending master can bend all four elements. Also a big goof. Uh, rocking hair loopies, always holding on to hope. Do not mess with her. And the ideas guy, the sarcasm guy as well, plus boomerang guy. And the fourth and final, uh, greatest earthbender, small and blind, but will wreck you. Her name sounds like tough. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> yes, yes. I like how you used um, Ev instead of Ever so that you could keep within the syllable count. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it, it's like, it's a very simple uh, on paper, like to write haiku, but it actually took me a very long time to write those four. <laughs> yeah, it is harder than it seems. I actually also wrote haiku for my poems because, of course, <laughs> and I can definitely empathize with that struggle. It's uh, it's tricky. I also count syllables on my fingers like soccer does in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I, funnily enough, also wrote four different haiku, ah. but they are not about the members of the gang. They are about the women in soccer's life. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like four haiku, but they make a poem sort of together. So I'm just going to read them all in sequence because they kind of somewhat follow on from each other. I'll never forget the way Yue looked beneath the moon she became. Recently a girl looked my way inside a drill. She was cute, I guess. <laughs> My friend Toph may be unique among earthbenders. I do agree, but Suki for me is so much more than I can fit in a simple haiku. Aww. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I would like you to count the syllables in that last line in a simple haiku. That's one too many syllables there, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Sokka got booted out again. But it's because Suki is more than you can fit in a haiku. <laughs> that's that's deep. That's clever. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. That was really fun. I also feel like I have to up my game because of the poem that Rach did last week, which Stephen hasn't heard yet, but it's pretty Ooh. crazy. Yeah, I added like sound effects and music and everything. So. Wow. I look forward to Monday. <laughs> With that out of the way, then I guess we, it's time for us to get into this episode. So we have six different stories. They're all pretty short. Do we want to talk a little bit about just like what we thought about the formatting of this episode before we get into the different stories? Sure, yeah. It would be interesting to know why, you know, Stephen chose this as his episode to guest star on. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I guess just looking through um, the episodes in book two, this one stood out because um, it's it's quite self-contained. So I thought that was quite a good episode to, to come and jump in on. Um, and it also has some really great moments in it, um, particularly for me. Yeah, Sokka's bit um, and Iroh's Iroh's story is like, oh, hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll get to it, but yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, it fits into the larger story of, of book two, but, but it's also kind of quite contained. Yeah, I think it's interesting because we've been talking a lot about how they've been playing with structure this season. You know, they've had uh, episodes kind of organized in various different ways. Like we had the most recent episode has that intercutting of Jet's scene with what's going on with the 
gang and we've had episodes that are kind of based around different genres and so it's kind of cool that this one is like a bunch of little short stories i think also when we listened to the cast reunion this was greg baldwin's favorite episode and he was the one that took over for iroh's voice acting when mako passed Hmm. so i think it's a very significant episode for iroh in particular yeah, I agree with that. And his story, honestly, is the one that stands out to me the most. Yeah. But we don't start with his story. We start with Toph and Katara. <laughs> <laughs> the two girls. And a story that is actually written by two women as well. Yeah, oh. I thought this was cool. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I, it's really cool, actually. A lot of the people who just worked in production or in martial arts for the show, they ended up writing the episodes uh, or the little sequences for this episode, which is really cool that they got the chance to do that. Hmm. I noticed that one of them was written by Lauren McMullen, who actually directed a bunch of episodes, particularly this season, but I think she directed a lot of episodes of Avatar in general. Yeah, and this one is fun, I think, as a story of like girls bonding. We don't start with that. We start with uh, the resolution of some hair mysteries. <laughs> so we, we see Aang shaving his head for the first time, which I guess we like assume that that's what he did. But I don't know. When I was a kid, I was just like, is Aang bald? Or... <laughs> <laughs> Prematurely bald. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or just like magically bald. <laughs> he is over 100 years old, though. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's, um, you know, airbending, hairbending could be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, uh, the undiscovered element is hair. <laughs> yeah, so he shaves his head. Sokka also shaves his teeny tiny mustache. With his, with his sword. <laughs> yeah, because of course because he's soccer and then we see katara doing her hair but i have to say i still don't really understand how she does the hair loopies they're still a bit of a mystery to me it's hair bending like steven said <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a gift that katara and Hang share together oh yes. they hair bend together <laughs> And then they go to uh, wake up Toph, or Katara goes to wake up Toph, and her hair is something else. So much of it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's huge. And uh, she kind of talks about how Toph is a little dirty. And Katara's great idea is that they are going to spend the day together and go to a spa. Which Toph is not really excited about at first. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, Toph, I think that she does have this interesting relationship with femininity that we've talked about, right? I think she expresses it in her own way and doesn't go by like the confines of what people expect. She sort of, as we see in this episode uh, later on, I think she does have a lot of self-assurance about who she is although she does have doubts sometimes but as you say she really kind of carves her own path i think katara d decides for them to go to this spa i think another part of why katara is so excited to do this and why toph is not 
is because Toph grew up kind of being waited on hand and foot. And, you know, she's very used to that. But for Katara, it's something that's really new and it's like this luxury that she's never experienced before. Yeah, I like that in your notes. I thought that was really interesting insight. It's like, I think it, a lot of people just boil it down to like, Toph doesn't like girly things, but it's like, well, why doesn't Toph like girly things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she's probably sick of it after a, a lifetime of <laughs> having mainly girly things. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's always the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. If it's something that you don't have a lot of experience with, uh, then it's bound to be something that interests you, like in Katara's case. And, oh yeah, Toph has one thing that she doesn't want them to do, (laughs) which is touch her feet. I mean, I can't blame her for that. Strangers touching my feet has always been weird. Like, when people go to get pedicures, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like this. (laughs) Of course, as soon as she gets into the spa, that's what they do. (laughs) (laughs) It's the timing of it. It's literally, she says it, and then it cuts to um, them touching her feet. (laughs) I love those abrupt transitions in the show. There's quite a few of them, and they're always really funny. Yeah, I also enjoy them. They they do it really well, I think, in this show. So, yeah, that's kind of annoying for Toph. But I think she does end up having fun in the spa, ultimately. Yeah, there's a really cute montage of things they do, and... It's always nice to see them laughing and enjoying their time together. Yeah, I think that it's always nice to see, for me particularly, Katara, but just these kids in general having fun. Mm. I always feel like, you know, I'm worried about them, and I'm just like, you poor kids, you have to fight this war. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely, like, a breather episode, I feel like, for them, because... Mm-hmm. so many bad things are going on even their victory in the drill they still had to work really hard for it so it's it's good that they just get to relax and have a good time in this episode <laughs> yes 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 so yeah we get these cute little things like um uh there's a bit when Toph uses her earth bending and like she has a mud mask on and she turns it into like a weird monster thing and we also get to see I actually didn't notice this until I rewatched the episode because I had watched it early in the week and then I wanted to watch it again. And this has been happening fairly often because I'm starting to get impatient to watch the next episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just watch it on like Monday and then I get to Friday and I'm like, oh, I don't remember what happened. I noticed this on the second time, which was that um, Katara uses a little bit of water bending when they are in the sauna. Yeah. Mm, yeah. They work together to, to get it going. She puts in the water, she put, and Toph puts in the, the rocks. Yes, yes. Um, so I thought that was fun as well, just seeing them like collaborating with each other. And it's just nice, especially because these are two characters who have had conflict between each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> and we even talked in that episode, I, I expressed a little bit of concern about the fact that they were fighting and that they were girls even though I don't think that's why they were fighting at all. It can be a little bit sexist, I think, the way that girls are portrayed, but I thought it was nice here that they were um, getting along with each other. They emerge from the spa with some interesting makeup looks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't very cute to me, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, it just seemed a bit overdone. Well, that's what happens when you go into a spa. Like, 
they do your makeup like like the one girl said, like a clown, which wasn't nice, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they meet these three girls as they emerge from the spot. And Toph has actually just said that, like, oh, she actually had more fun than she thought she would have, right? Yes. But then they meet these three girls um, who I thought were basically the Bossing Say version of the plastics. The mean girls. Exactly, yeah. Um, I liked your note about the one of the girls' hair, Stephen. Yeah, she, it looked like Minnie Mouse. I only noticed this on the, the second time of watching. <laughs> that might have been a subtle dig at Disney. I don't know. <laughs> oh, maybe. The, the circle of shaped hair, but then like the pink bows as well. So it was, yeah, it was remarkably close. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't notice the bows. I didn't notice that she had the little buns, but um, Star, I think her name is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so Star Minnie Mouse Girl is <laughs> very rude to Katara and Toph. Yeah, I just think they're jealous. Like, why else would you make a comment like that? Just to bring yourself up and put others down. It's so rude. Just mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, I think it probably stems from, like, insecurity. I think a lot of times yeah. that's what these kind of things stem from, is that, like, you're insecure about yourself, so you make fun of other people. Yeah, you have to pull other people down to make yourself feel better. Exactly, exactly. Toph kind of says to them, because they make a joke about Toph looking like a poodle. Yeah, poodle monkey. Poodle monkey. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because you can't just have regular poodles. No, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Toph retorts with, oh yeah, that is really funny. You know what else is really funny? <laughs> Holes and bridges are funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and I agreed with Katara that seeing them fall into the river was pretty funny. <laughs> it was. Yeah, this was um, the first moment in the episode, um, which made me wonder, like, why the Daily didn't do anything about <laughs> this. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a couple of other moments where um, the, the gang do something where, yeah, I, I'm surprised that um, the Daily have didn't didn't step in but <laughs> I, I saw your note about that and it did make me think and then i was just thinking well you know what they're not doing anything to expose the war yeah so i think the daily is gonna let them get away with like whatever the heck they want to do as long as they're not like exposing the fact that there's a war going on <laughs> as long as they don't go talk to the f king yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah that makes sense i think and Katara wants to join in the fun. I thought it was so funny. Like, Toph just plunked them into the canal. And Katara was like, that's not enough. They must drown. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to have Toph's back, you know? Well, it was great because Katara was, like, going to take the high road and was just going to ignore them. But then I think after Toph plopped them in the canal, she was like, oh, okay, you know what? That's fun. <laughs> And I love how casually they just resume their conversation afterwards, like nothing's <laughs> happened to someone. Like... <laughs> yeah, I wonder if those girls, they must have like washed up on some bank somewhere, just <laughs> completely bedraggled, and then they were just walked off and were trying to pretend that nothing happened. Oh no, well, you won't get this, but Stephen, what if they like ended up at the bottom of Lake Lalga? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the worst. <laughs> That's an episode that's coming up. I do know that. Yes. <laughs> you will understand soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
but I don't know what is in Lake Cloud Guy. Oh, you're so naive. <laughs> <laughs> I envy you. <laughs> so, yeah, that funny sequence is really great. But then after that, I think there's a really sweet little sequence between Katar and Toph that wraps the story up. I, I thought it was lovely how she listed all of the things she admired about Toph that weren't materialistic. But then at the end was like, and you're pretty, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was like, I know it doesn't matter, but you're pretty, too. Yeah, and I thought it was nice to see, like, a vulnerable side of Toph as well, because we don't mm. often see that. Mm. Because Toph says, you know, she basically says that she doesn't care about these things, but she is crying as she says it. So you do kind of get the sense that some of it does get to her. And you can see that she generally appreciated what Katara said, because she hit her arm at the end, which... We know is a, a sign of affection from Toph. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, Rachel and I were having a conversation the other day and I was saying how much I like it when um, couples on screen like display signs of affection, even if it's something very little, you know, because it's just nice, I think, even if it's like in the background or whatever. And then uh, Rach was like, yeah, like Toph punching other people's arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just very sweet. And yeah, Katara tells Toph that she's strong and confident and self-assured and that she admires her for that, which I think is really nice as well, that she's, you know, bigging her up and just saying that, like, that's something that I admire about you. Very nice conclusion to that storyline. Okay, so that one's a very sweet one. Do you think we're ready to cry now? <laughs> I don't think we'll ever be ready. <laughs> I don't think so either, Stephen. <laughs> so this is Iroh's story. And we start out with Iroh going to the market to buy a basket. I'm gonna go on a picnic. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the guy just asks him, you know, if it's a romantic picnic, and he says it's not, but it's very special. And there is a very nice detail here of uh, the guy who's running the store. He also has a moonflower in the store, and it's not blooming. And Iroh points out that it needs a little bit of shade. I love this. I just felt like it was a beautiful analogy of how everyone Iroh meets benefits in a small but significant way because of either his wisdom or just the care that he displays to them. Yeah, yeah. I really like that comment of yours because I think it really puts the whole story that Iroh has in this little segment but it really brings it all together yeah it's very sweet i also wish that he could give me advice because i'm really bad at taking care of plants so <laughs> i've killed many a plant i'm sorry plants uh he's in kind of the market area and there's a little boy who is basically throwing a tantrum and iroh's solution to this is he i don't know where he gets the little ukulele from maybe from the stool <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. But he starts playing this little tune. He's kind of trying to cheer up this little boy. But it was funny because even on my first time watching, I didn't know anything about the song, obviously, and you know, it was the first time I heard it, but I thought it was sad even the first time I heard it. And it's meant to like try and cheer this boy up, but I just thought that for, there's something about it. I don't know, I'm not somebody who is very well-versed in music, but just something about it made me want to cry even before I knew all the context of, of the episode 
That's interesting that you had that as your initial reaction. I honestly can't remember what my initial reaction to hearing it was because now every time it's just like leaves from the vine. Okay, start bawling. Basically. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's about leaves falling off a vine, so you know, there's. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's quite sad. <laughs> that's true. I think it's something about the the rhythm of it as well, maybe. Um, but yeah, like I say, I'm not an expert in music, so I'm sure there's somebody who can break it down out there. Like, why <laughs> these specific notes make you want to cry? <laughs> they actually stop the boy from crying in this case. They work. Yeah. I thought there was a very cute little detail of the little boy had this toy soldier in his hand and it was dressed like General Fong's men. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't notice that. Well, you know. Again, picking up on things, <laughs> which you watch this a million times. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really lovely detail. The song also has the lyrics, you know, brave soldier boy come marching home. Mm. And so you get another soldier there with the little boy. And then obviously the whole thing culminates in a soldier as well. We're not quite there yet because Ira has some more people to help. So there is a scene with him and some boys who are playing some kind of sport. I liked your note, Stephen. What did you call it? Uh, a more exciting version of football. <laughs> <laughs> That's soccer as well. Uh, so- y- no. Yes. Oh my god, I sounded like I just said soccer, as in the character. Soccer. <laughs> soccer. So- football or soccer was as, was like that. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be watching it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a fan? No, I don't watch it. <laughs> I don't have a team. Yeah, my uh, I'm not really either, but my mom is a big uh, football slash soccer fan. And so I grew up like hearing about it a lot and her getting really invested in it. But um, I, I was not, apart from like the World Cup for some reason. Yeah, that's the only time I've become interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's like the Super Bowl, you know, like in the US. <laughs> People who aren't football fans, they just like, or like, whatever, but then they'll watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think the World Cup is partly because it's like, it's your country, right? Rather than like your own team. Oh, I was like, and also it's it's just over as well. But like the, the league um, just seems to go on for, forever, you know, and like... <laughs> <laughs> As someone whose brother was obsessed with uh, football or soccer, yes, that is very true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I like this version of the sport too that they are playing. And I think it's also nice to get a little bit of the culture of Hmm. the Earth Kingdom. And, you know, things like, hey, these kids play sport in the middle of the street. (laughs) And I I think you're right, Rebecca. I think... um... I think that w- was Greg Baldwin doing um, the line reading for Iroh in that scene. It sounds, it does sound different. Yeah, so it was funny actually because I, when I was watching the episode, I thought that line sounded different. And then I remembered Rach telling me that Marco actually recorded all of his lines for season two. So I was like, oh, maybe that was just my impression. But then I found on Avatar Wiki a little bit of trivia that said that he provides one line of dialogue for Iroh during this uh, this whole tale. They didn't say what it was, but Greg Baldwin actually did come in. Maybe it was just something that they hadn't had a chance to record and or they added later or something, I don't know. Yeah, or it could just be like ADR where they 
they flubbed that line and it didn't sound good enough to use or something. Mm. Right, right. I think it is that line because I think it does sound different from the rest. But yeah, it's kind of cool that Greg Baldwin um, came in and did that one line. And I think that, I mean, obviously I haven't gotten to the stuff where Greg Baldwin does his voice all the time, but I would imagine that he probably got closer to Iroh later on. This was probably just like an initial thing that he came in. And it is very close, but you can tell that it's different, I think. I think, yeah, you can usually tell the difference between their voices, but mm. I, I guess you get used to Greg Baldwin's way of, of doing Iroh's lines. He talked a lot about kind of uh, his connection with Marco when he was doing the Avatar reunion. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was very sweet. It was just nice to hear that someone who really respected Mako came in and was was doing his voice, you know, with a lot of reverence and not just some random actor that could imitate him sort mm. of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These boys that are playing the Earth Kingdom version of football, um, they break a window and Iroh <laughs> tells them first that they should maybe admit to it, and then he changes his mind. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very large man inside of the house where they broke a window. So. <laughs> yeah, so he says, uh, maybe we should run instead. And then he, they run away, and that's when he runs into another man who tries to mug him. <laughs> <laughs> what a delightful scene. Oh my god, it's so funny. Because the first thing Iroh does, instead of, you know, being scared of this guy who's being like, give me your money, he says, your stance is incorrect. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. And I just love this idea of, you know, uh, somebody's trying to mug you, and then instead you correct them on their stance and then make them rethink their entire life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess... I guess it says something about Iroh that, yeah, I mean, he, he could have easily just handed him over to the authorities. I mean, he's, he stood back and let uh, Jet get captured in the, the previous mm. episode. But um, but yeah, I, I guess he saw that this guy was, was desperate and that he could turn his life around with a, with a little bit of encouragement. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of, I just remember, there's a line in one of the Star Wars movies. I think it's one of the prequels where somebody pulls a Jedi mind trick and the person who is on the receiving end of it, they just repeat, um, I need to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, the, it's the Death Sticks guy. Um, he tries to sell <laughs> Which I, I assume on the Star Wars version of cigarettes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh my god, yes, I remember now. So it's the same thing with this. It's an Iro mind trick. You need to go home and rethink your life. I'm going to make you some tea first. <laughs> Yeah, I would say, though, it's it's much better than, like, using the Force or whatever to manipulate someone. Yeah, because I agree, I agree. He, I think that Iroh is such a cool character because he shows a lot of empathy for people. And I think that's why people open up to him and really let him into their lives and him making a difference. Because he's one of those people that I feel like everyone you meet could be holding on to something painful and he knows that better than anyone because he puts on like this very cheery happy-go-lucky demeanor when he's really harboring this pain over losing his son so he knows that people are going through struggles and he's just trying to offer everybody an olive branch no matter 
even if they're a mugger, you know. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. And I guess he seen how much his life has changed since he was, you know, the lead general in this oppressive regime and you know so he's seen that he can turn his life around Mm. so i guess he kind of feels like people can turn their lives around um if they're they're willing to yeah that's such a good point yeah absolutely i love his like pearls of wisdom that he drops i think i mentioned it before but like he has a line in this episode which is while it is always best to believe in oneself a little help from others can be a great blessing. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and so I think I really want to just make like an Iro quote board to help inspire me in my life. One of those calendars with like a new quote every day. <gasps> Perfect. <know. laughs> yes, that would be great. And I'm glad he was able to help this guy realize that he wanted to be a masseur. He's going to go start working at that spa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's <laughs> a good idea. Yeah, and to tell them that, you know, some old guy inspired him to rethink his entire yeah, life. It's like on his references. Random <laughs> old man who stopped me from mugging him. Contact information, don't know. The tea shop. Just go to the tea shop. Yeah, the tea shop, yeah. <laughs> Mushy at the tea shop. Yes. <laughs> Once he's done helping this man, that's when Iroh finally goes to his destination for his picnic. Kind of like this top of the hill outside of the city a little bit and there's a tree there growing as well mm-hmm. and this is when we find out what the picnic was celebrating yeah it's blue ten's birthday <laughs> and then we all cry <laughs> <laughs> and we all cry <laughs> yes because then he sings the song again and this time it's much slower and his voice is like breaking while he's singing it I think oh <laughs> and uh yeah and it's just so sad because Luten is the brave soldier boy but he never did come home yeah it just occurs to me that it's probably the first time he's been back to Barsing Se since losing Luten so yeah I just can't imagine how what he was feeling the first time he walked into the city you know um I don't know if he shared anything with Zuko but probably yeah not. He... <laughs> no, yeah. Zuko would not be sympathetic probably <laughs> Zuko probably wouldn't be listening because he'd be too worried about some other random thing uh... yeah. <laughs> about Jet exposing him. yeah about Jet exposing him, exactly <laughs> or some random girl <laughs> which we'll get to yeah that's a good point I hadn't really thought about the fact that that's where Luten died it must be stirring up a lot of emotions for Iroh to be back in that place. Yeah, and he really takes it with stride, you know? Like, he he doesn't let it show, like I said. And I don't think it's, like, an unhealthy coping mechanism. I just think that's who he is by nature. He's a very positive person. And I think it's very sweet that he still honors his son on his birthday every year. And... I think all of those little acts of kindness he was doing were really in honor of Lu Ten, and he couldn't lead his son down the right path, but maybe he can help a stranger find their way, and that's honoring his son's life. One thing that I did notice the second time I watched this was that he does say specifically, I wish I could have helped you to Lu Ten's picture. And I think that relates to what you're saying, Rach, is that he tried to help all these people, you know, during the day, but he couldn't help his son. 
I guess the memory of his son is probably one thing which spurs him on to help people. Um, yeah. So I, I wonder if he was as like generous and, and outgoing before Luten's death. I guess we won't know. Yeah. It is weird to think about what he was like before. I mean, from that very small flashback we get in Zuko alone, it's we don't really get what his character was like back then, besides the fact that he, like, delighted in the fact that <laughs> they had <laughs> infiltrated Ba Sing Se. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe his joy at that time was from things like taking Ba Sing Se, and now his joy comes from other places. I think definitely helped him with empathy just for other nations being able to see the humanity in everybody instead of just the fire nation yeah yeah this is really really sweet and we end with a freeze frame of this lovely shot of him by the tree and then it does say in honor of Marco rest in peace Marco (laughs) yes it's very sad that uh, he wasn't able to continue being Iroh and that he passed away. But uh, as we talked about, I'm glad that the person who did take over from him is somebody who was very concerned about his legacy. Yes, and I'm very happy that he did get to work on the show as long as he did because he definitely imparted a lot of his wisdom and I think helped the creators a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does the lion's share of um, Iroh's appearances, so yeah. Should we move on to a happier story? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's move on to Aang's adventures in zoo building. Aang basically is looking for Apo, which is what, you know, he said that they should do if they're waiting to see the Earth King, you know, let's look for Apo. <laughs> He's the only one that does that. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, Momo. Oh, sorry, my bad. Oh, Momo. <laughs> yeah, he goes to visit this zoo, and I guess he's probably trying to see if Appa was taken there for some reason. But he doesn't find Appa. Instead, he just finds a bunch of animals who were not in a very good way. Yeah, a very sad zoo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did think it was kind of interesting that they dropped a little nugget of information, and that was that. The Daili seem to be in charge of the city's money, or at least, like, the quote-unquote cultural (laughs) parts of the city. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting how many areas culture um, encapsulates, you know. It's it's the war effort, (laughs) it's the... (laughs) Like, what does that really mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That is a, an interesting point. Uh, it's very clear that they have their fingers kind of everywhere. Yeah, I mean, this, I feel like, is definitely a cultural part, you know? It reminds me of, like, the zoo in Washington, D.C., and, like, the Smithsonian. Like, those mm-hmm. are very cultural places, so it would be appropriate that the Daily would be in charge of the money here. But they don't want to give any money to this guy, which is really upsetting. <laughs> Yeah, and he, the zookeeper tells Aang, you know, that his zoo is basically uh, not very nice, has no money, and that's why nobody comes, and because nobody comes, they won't give him any money, so it's like this horrible feedback loop. So Aang says, well, I can help you, because I'm great with animals. He does love riding them. Yes, yes, and he is a vegetarian, right, so... 
But, uh, yeah, he also is probably not as scared of them as he should be in some cases. It was at the beginning of the episode, he, like, tries to make friends with a very scary animal. Yeah, it's like a, <laughs> a saber-toothed a t- armadillo or something. I don't Apparently know. Apparently it's a, it's a tiger dillo. Uh, I, I looked okay. it up. <laughs> tiger dillo. Very good, very good. Yeah, I'm kind of like that too, in that I'm probably not as scared of many animals as I should be. So I can understand. Yeah, so Aang says, I'm great with animals, and then cut to complete chaos. <laughs> because what Aang decides that he is going to do is there is apparently an area of land just outside the walls of the city which I'm kind of curious as to what was there like was it just a piece of land it seems kind of weird but uh he says you know we can take the animals there and so he does and they just go nuts well to your point I feel like it would be a very bossing say thing to be like outside the radius of however many meters or whatever that belongs to the city but we're trying to separate ourselves from the rest of society so (laughs) (laughs) right like useless land (laughs) yeah that makes sense that does make sense yeah there's a fun sequence of these animals just going on the rampage and we get to see our last actually appearance per avatar wiki of cabbage man I was just wondering how he got into Ba Sing Se, because his passport was denied. <laughs> so I was like, did he cross the Serpent's Pass with his cabbages? <laughs> like, that would be so funny to actually watch him trying to get across the Serpent's Pass with his cabbages. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Yeah, and they even, well, they ate his cabbages. So how did he have more? Maybe it's like, he has like brothers in every place and it's his twin brother. <laughs> oh, he's like um Nurse Joy in yes, Pokemon. Yes. <laughs> We've cracked it. <laughs> Cabbage Man is the nurse joy of Avatar. Yeah, I thought it was funny that especially given that this is his last appearance, that he's actually not that angry about his cabbages getting eaten. He's just disappointed. He's just like, Oh, forget it. Yeah, he, he just gives up and, and goes and sells something else. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a funny note of yours, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just becomes potato man. <laughs> I mean, potatoes are a very hardy crop, so I feel like that would be a good option. Yeah, you could travel all over the world, maybe even to the water, um, water tribe yeah. as well. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, yes. Although I'm not sure that uh, he would be too happy if he traveled to other places and he ran into the gang again. He'd be like, no! <laughs> yeah. Not you again. I mean, it does seem like they're following, he, he's following them. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, he's always, yeah, where they are. Ooh, conspiracy theory. He has insurance on his cabbage cart and he's just getting them to destroy it on purpose <laughs> so he can collect the insurance money. There we go. <laughs> we have. We've cracked the code of the Cabbage Man. Sorry, that was we like derailed that conversation, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, this podcast is for. Yeah, so Cabbage Man, um, goodbye. I won't miss you that much, but you were fun for a while. And Aang is trying to get all these animals under control, and it's not really working. And so he decides to use the bison whistle. Yes. This tiny whistle that they bought back in the waterbending scroll really affects the plot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it worked for everything, like for all animals. 
Yeah, it's a bargain. What? <laughs> 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 How much did it cost? Did we know? He said it in that episode, but I can't remember. It's like one copper piece. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Two copper pieces. Oh, that was a good one. Good accent. <laughs> Steven has the right voice for it, I feel. Yes. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. Um, also, because he puts in like all of his like, airbending energy into it. And so the radius of it is shown to go across the entire city. And I'm like, well, didn't Upper hear it? He must be here somewhere. Well, we'll find out about that soon. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. He manages to actually control all the animals with it as well, because they all come to him, not just the zoo animals. Yeah, I wonder... I mean, we see one cat gets caught up a little bit later, but I wonder, I wonder how many other pets are oh, running after him. That star's poodle monkey came too. <laughs> Yeah, everyone just lost their pets to uh, to the bison whistle. <laughs> and so they all come charging, and this is when there's this bunch of animals just charging after Aang, who's on his air scooter. And they go up to the gates of Ba Sing Se, and they just open the gates for them. And I was just like, if only the Fire Nation knew that all they needed... <laughs> To get them to open the gates of Barsing Say was just like a bunch of rogue zoo animals. You don't need a drill. No. Uh, they could have just had some earthbenders as well. There were many other ways, basically, that they could have gotten into Barsing Say. But they do, they all run through the, the gates, and then Aang proceeds to make a zoo. I thought that he would probably be great at the video game Planet Zoo. Because he just uses his earthbending and just makes this like really beautiful looking zoo. And I'm playing that game and I'm really bad at it, so I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive considering how new he is to earthbending. I mean, we know that Toph would have done an, you know, an even more amazing job, but I mean, considering that he's new to it, I mean, yeah, hats off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. It looks very nice. It's very pretty, yeah. If Katara was there, well, he can waterbend too. I was going to say, if Katara was there, they could have made like a little lake or something and done some pretty landscaping. The animals seem happy. We do get a rogue cat showing up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barsing Say has a new zoo now. Yeah, I felt like this segment was just like a PSA on why you shouldn't keep wild animals in captivity. <laughs> <laughs> Or at least that you should put some money into, like, giving them a nice habitat and enrichment and stuff like that. Right. Safari parks are the way forward, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was the second moment that um, I was surprised that the Dali didn't have anything to say about it. But like you say, um, <laughs> they, they might have just been like, yeah, animal stampede's fine. As long as the Fire Nation don't come in. Right. <laughs> as long as those animals don't tell anyone about the war. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then I did like um, the little line that the zookeeper has to Aang where he's like, You should think about working with animals for a living. And then he's like, Maybe you should just stick to saving people. Jewelry maker, zookeeper, avatar on the side. So many career opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> he's a man of many talents. And that's the end of that story, I think. So, Sokka's is. I felt like Sokka's was shorter than the others. I don't know why. I think they're all about the same length. Yeah, I just think there's not a whole lot to, like, summarize because it was mostly, like, a haiku battle. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> haiku rap battle. <laughs> Let's just end the discussion on that. Oh, there. no. <laughs> haiku rap battle. No. The first thing that happens is Sokka is just, like, walking along. And he hears 
some poetry coming from this house, and he kind of stops to look in the window. Yeah, maybe maybe we should give Sokka the benefit of the doubt and say that he was out looking for Alpha too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally, that's what he... He, well, he just kind of says poetry in this dreamy way when he listens to the poem. And the poem, I thought, might be about... Or, like, you could think that it would apply to Yue because it has, like, the moon and silver tears in it. And that, that could be why he's like, ah, poetry, because it, it made him think of, <laughs> made him think of Yue. <laughs> I, I like that explanation more than the fact that he's just admiring the pretty ladies, which I did consider. <laughs> no, I think he was very enamored with the poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, because I already got mad at Sokka for, um, you know, flirting with Ty Lee. I don't want to have to get mad at him again. I'm just like, Suki, come on. It is funny how he does have this kind of softer side to him. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's definitely, like, a little romantic at heart. <laughs> but I think, as you said in your notes, Rach, you probably wouldn't want to admit it to anyone. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you do tonight, Sokka? Uh, you know, just slung my boomerang around and uh, ate some meat. <laughs> 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 manly stuff i didn't go to a poetry slam no, no. <laughs> yeah so he's kind of lingering in the window and then there's a i think it's an ostrich horse that kicks him in the butt sends him flying yep yep <laughs> and he falls into the house where this club is going on it has a name doesn't it but i don't think we get it in the episode no we don't the 575 Society is a little weirded out by the fact that he's there, but he turns out to be quite good at coming up with poems. Specifically haikus. I mean, the first one was completely by accident, so that's, like, really impressive. <laughs> yeah, that one is, is pretty impressive. And then the lady who's in charge, who actually, I think I read that her name is inspired by um, Lauren McMullen. Yes. Madame Macmooling. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Who I think wrote this part of the episode. And she is not so impressed by soccer. Well, I did like Stephen's note. Like she was kind enough to teach him like what a haiku was at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll teach you uh yeah, what a haiku is so you can <laughs> you have a fighting chance against me. <laughs> that's true, that's true. They basically start to engage in, as we said before, a haiku rap battle. Yeah, I actually read that this this episode was extremely hard, or this segment anyways, was extremely hard for the dubbed versions, and it was a nightmare for them to dub. <laughs> yeah, because you have to not only dub it to get the same meaning, but you also have to get the syllables right. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> Like, writing a haiku in another language and having it mean the same thing. Like, oof, that, yeah. <laughs> I bet they were not happy with Avatar after that. <laughs> At least it was a one-off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and they have this, like, fun back and forth between them. Um, there is, I think, a, a standout moment is the moment with the plum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I said was like a mic drop. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. I just wonder how long she was carrying that around. Like... <laughs> I just love the, the the voice effect they put on her in that moment as well. <laughs> like... Yeah, Sokka is you know he's keeping up pretty well. I think 
Yeah, I think he does a good job. He's a natural, but her poems are, like, very beautiful and profound and have, like, a lot of very nice language. And then Sokka's just like, I'm going to paddle your canoe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's a little bit rude in his gestures as well at one point. In case it wasn't clear what canoe meant. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're right. Sokka is not as refined, shall we say. (laughs) But uh, he still does a good job. I think that's kind of Sokka all over, really, is he's he's not somebody who does things in, like, the traditional or the, you know, refined way, but he is clever. And he probably would have been fine if he, you know, his success hadn't gone to his head. Yes, because I think he does like the fact that the girls are all laughing and, like, you know being entertained by him. I think he does enjoy that. But, you know, pride cometh before a fall. His last haiku uh, doesn't go as well as expected. Mm. Before the Ember Island says music kicks in, um, it it kind of like does a a record scratch. So I guess kind of adding (laughs) to that, um, (laughs) adding to that uh, rap battle aesthetic, you know, like... (laughs) You're right, you're right. So fun. It's pretty funny. I liked that one of the lines was, uh, I'm Sokka, it's pronounced with an Oka, because it reminded me of the fact that they call him Soka in the Avatar live-action film. <laughs> and I think this was before that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, was it? Okay, well, that probably wasn't a reference then, but it does work, even so. It's just like, it's Just a Oka. note for any future <laughs> adapters. <laughs> it was right there, M. Night Shyamalan. It was right there. <laughs> Oh, come on, M. Night Shyamalan didn't watch this episode. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) He probably didn't watch that many episodes of Avatar at all. He probably just watched the first season. But still, they say Sokka like a million times. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like Hermione where you have to phonetically spell it for people to get it right. (laughs) Oh, Hermione. (laughs) But he definitely says it's pronounced with an Oka. Young ladies, I rocked ya. Which, you know, if he just removed the young part... He would have been fine. But that is one too many syllables. And then he gets thrown out by the bouncer, and I just thought it was hilarious that there's a bouncer yeah. in, in this poetry society. I love it. And it's like the one thing that you get thrown out for. <laughs> Stephen, I liked your note about the rules of Poetry Club. <laughs> Yeah, the first rule of Poetry Club is we always speak in haiku. The second rule is there is no mercy for those who don't speak in haiku. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they they must get enough of people like soccer wandering past and joining in to like necessitate hiring a bouncer to throw people out. <laughs> I think it's a nice little story. It's pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, but it's fun. And it kind of ends with soccer having a slightly different opinion about poetry (laughs) (laughs) poetry (laughs) but we will still continue doing poetry here on amber island sayers yes so are we ready to move on to zuko's disastrous date yeah (laughs) it actually wasn't that disastrous (laughs) no it started out bad but in the end it was fine we go back to the fire nation people who are no longer in the fire nation and zuko approaches iroh because he's very concerned I think Jack kind of, like, made him paranoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think this is just him continuing to be bad at realising when people have crushes on him. Because he didn't realise that Jet had a crush on him. 
now he also does not realize that he there's this girl who is hanging out a lot at the tea shop and his reaction uh, as i think you were saying in your notes right just to think that she's a spy <laughs> he's like determined that she's found out that we're fire nation yeah i thought it was funny steven that you're like how did zuko ever end up with may because yeah <laughs> You can't take a hint. Yeah, I bet Azula had something to do with it. She probably, like, <laughs> went and told him, you know that May likes you. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, but then he wouldn't believe her because Azula always lies. Azula always lies. <laughs> yeah, it was probably May having to be explicit about liking him. Uh... I like you, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably how it went down, actually. <laughs> And we get introduced to this girl, Jin, who I think is such a sweetheart. Mm. She is. I like her. She's, like, not afraid to go for what she wants. <laughs> no, her confidence. I'm just like, you go, girl. <laughs> because she straight up walks over. I mean, Iroh has already guessed that she has a crush on Zuko. Because um, Iroh is smart. But um, she just walks up to him and is like, hey, do you want to go out? And Zuko, before he can answer, I think, Iroh just chimes in to say he'd love to. Yeah. Iroh accepts on his behalf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I liked your note, Rach, about Zuko um, and how his appearance has changed. Yeah. So I just think it's really cool how they have the animation change and Zuko's weight fluctuates throughout the series and I think that you can see here that he has gained a, a little bit of weight and he looks very healthy living in Ba Sing Se actually. Hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah I hadn't noticed that until your notes and then I thought back and I was like yeah he does look different he's not like he was very emaciated in Zuko alone when he was on his own he didn't know how to get food and now it seems like he's definitely yeah filled out a little bit so that's cool he looks very nice until <laughs> <laughs> until he goes out on his date iroh does his hair <laughs> why yeah i i said that he looks like draco malfoy <laughs> he does oh my gosh you're so right he really does well jen too is great because she just like ruffles his hair under the guise of her showing a fact. Yeah. And she's probably like, this is hideous. Like, I'm going to fix this. It's like, I cannot be seen with you like this. This girl, I'm telling you, she's golden. Like, obviously, I want Zuko to be with May, but also, like, I think she's amazing. She probably deserves yeah. better than Zuko, honestly. <laughs> well, it's nice because, like, he's such a downer and, like, She's just like, whatever, man, just roll with the punches kind of thing. So that's nice to balance him out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they go on their date and they're having noodles, I think is what they're having somewhere. Yes. <laughs> and it starts off really badly. I don't think Zuko knows how to make small talk. And that's really what you kind of do on a first date, so... Yeah, yeah, because she's asking him questions, like, she says, you know, how do you like the city? And he's like, it's okay. And then the best one, what do you do for fun? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> well, and I think he's really nervous because he didn't come up with a backstory before this, and she's like, where were you and your uncle before? Like, where did you work? And he's like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I thought he might be getting better at lying, but he's not. 
Yeah, and then he yells in the middle of the restaurant that she's not his girlfriend. That's also pretty bad. Not good on the first date, no. <laughs> no, no. But she just rolls with it, as you said, Rach. Yeah, she just eats her noodles. Like, good for you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then that's when she starts asking him about his background. And this scene was really funny because for a number of reasons. But so he says that he was in the circus. Yeah, traveling circus. And then she says, what did you do? And he <laughs> says that he juggled. I don't know how you predicted that a few episodes back. Oh my really god, <laughs> yeah. If anyone does, I think it was in Zuko alone, if anyone has forgotten that I made a joke. Well, it was because we were talking about flaming swords and I said, well, I don't think he should swallow swords because that's not a good idea. Maybe he should juggle them instead. <laughs> Cue Katie and I bursting into laughter because we realized that Zuko juggled in this. <laughs> but I think it's um, Jin who who says you're a juggler. Were well, you a juggler? Um, so he, he had the opportunity to say no. <laughs> I know she gave him a way out, and he's just like, yeah. <laughs> well, he's just very bad at coming up with stuff on the fly. So he was just like, I don't know what else I could have done in the circus. What are things that people do? But he knows Ty Lee. Yeah, I said I said he could have said he was an acrobat because I bet he could have pulled right. off at least one, you know, I don't know, forward roll or something. <laughs> yeah, he can break dance. So yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true, yeah. And he is good with the swords, so he could have said that he had flaming swords and he like... Oh, that would have been the perfect one, yeah. <laughs> right. But juggling, that's what you landed on, okay, Zuka. <laughs> Then she's like, I've always wanted to know how to juggle. Can you show me? <laughs> Turns out no. <laughs> the clown music that played during that was just cracking me up. Oh, yeah, the music was really funny. Yeah, he just ends up with, like, fruit and stuff in his face. But I think at least Jin is entertained. And then from there, that's when I think Jin says that she wants to take him to her favourite place. At that point, I would have been like, all right, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> me too, honestly. But she's very determined, and as we said, she knows what she wants. She takes him, and she tells him that it's a fountain, but there are, like, lots of lights around it. So the the light kind of reflects off the fountain. The lanterns are not lit on this night, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. For some reason. But... Oh my gosh. So I just thought this was really funny because like a few episodes ago, Zuka was calling Iroh an idiot for firebending his tea and now he's just like, let me light like 25 lanterns for this yeah. girl who's practically a stranger. <laughs> yeah, I saw someone pointing that out on Tumblr. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it is very fortunate that um, she kept her eyes closed for the whole time. But you know, all she needed to do was open her eyes and be like, oh, you're a firebender. <laughs> where's the daily <laughs> i think she's pretty cool though like i think she would have just been like oh okay like yeah you're a firebender what what are you doing here and he would have been like oh i'm a refugee and she'd be like okay <laughs> she likes him too much <laughs> yes. yeah i mean it's actually quite a romantic scene and it's interesting that it's between zuko and this girl that we only just met in this one episode it made me think a lot about, uh, so Rach knows this is coming because I've been talking to her about this, but it made me think a lot about how much the fandom appreciates Zuko. And I think that's for a number of reasons. You know, I think people have plenty of reasons to like Zuko. But there is a subset of people who like Zuko who I think were probably teenage girls 
when this was on. I just, you know, I'm just thinking back to myself as a teenage girl and just teenage girls in general. This is catnip for teenage girls. I'm sorry, but it is. It's like something that teenage girls are brought up with is this idea of like, oh, there's a broody guy and he's, you know, he's a little weird and he's, you know, like I said, broody, but he, deep down he's a romantic and, you know, if it's the right person, he will do something magical for you, like light up all these <laughs> lanterns. And I do wonder if, like, this scene is part of the reason why there are a lot of people who view Zuko in that way. I know there are a lot of people who like to kind of self-insert into, like, the role of Zuko's love interest. I don't know why they don't just write Jin and Zuko fanfic, but, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I don't have a problem with people, I think, self-inserting. But I do think it's interesting. I think it's interesting just in the larger context of like stories like Twilight, for example, and other stories where you have this like brooding male protagonist and why that specifically appeals to teenage girls. I mean, I don't get the appeal. <laughs> <laughs> I would have taken the free tea coupon and ran, but yeah. No, yeah, me neither. But I, you know, I, I think it's an interesting phenomenon yes it is an interesting phenomenon mm. mm -hmm. but uh yeah he lights the lanterns for her and then she is kind of going to go in to kiss him i think and that is the moment he produces the tea coupons <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> just what every girl wants i mean i would take it oh yeah <laughs> totally especially iroh's tea shop come on yeah she does not do that though she actually does try and kiss him at that point yeah and they do kiss but zuko kind of backs out of it and i think steven and i had the same idea of like oh is he thinking about may right now hmm. yeah i hadn't made that connection but it does make sense with the fountain specifically yeah there's a lot of significance with fountains and <laughs> may and zuko yeah because we saw that little flashback of them at the fountain i just wrote i bet he won't be texting may about that one because <laughs> he did seem to enjoy it as he said you know when he went back to iroh he had a good time i think part of it too is just like he's so worried about being exposed and you've said this before rebecca like he still doesn't know what he wants to do, and I think he's still got this mentality that he's going to go back to the Fire Nation at the end of the day and, like, have his life that he had before, so he doesn't want to, like, form connections with the people in Ba Sing Se. Which I guess is why he doesn't see Jin again. <laughs> Does she not come back? No. Yeah, it is an interesting little one-off to just have her pop up and them go on this date and her not to come back. Yeah, I feel like maybe explains a few things about Zuko fans. And, you know, I do just want to say, like, I'm not criticizing people just for being a Zuko fan. No. I think that's valid. whatever you... <laughs> yeah, that's completely valid. I'm just saying that I do think it's uh, a topic that um, is relevant, I think, not just to Avatar, but to several other things as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's the end of Zuko's story, I guess. So we move on to our last tale of Ba Sing Se. Momo. Momo gets his own segment. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> and his segment is also pretty sad. It's not as sad as Iroh's, but it's like the second saddest, I feel. Yeah, he starts off dreaming about Appa. 
Yeah, it's the first time we've seen Upper on screen for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also thought that it hadn't really occurred to me that Momo is like one of Upper's best friends. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we've been talking a lot about how Aang is feeling this, but maybe after Aang, the person who would feel this the most, person, Lima, who would feel <laughs> this the most, <laughs> is Momo. They definitely have a kinship because they're both, you know, these animals from the air nomad um, temples. So it's also like you're losing one of your kind kind of thing. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it made me think like, oh no, what would happen if like Nero was missing or Wiggles was missing? <laughs> like would they oh, miss each other? <laughs> no, that's so, so sad. Yeah, I feel like, especially cats, they tend to form quite strong attachments with other cats, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, he wakes up from his dream, and then he... Is he in Sokka's bag already? Yeah, because he's startled awake. There's, like, a thunderclap in his dream, and he startles awake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, and he finds a piece of Appa's hair. Yeah, and he kind of wraps it around his little which is cute and then he mistakes a cloud for Appa which is the second time a cloud has been mistaken Aww. for Appa both are big and fluffy I mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know makes sense and then he also mistakes a tree for Appa and he ends up running away sort of yeah I think he's just gonna go try to find his best friend <laughs> Aww. so sad and on the way, he runs into some cat-like creatures, which I checked, and they are called, apparently, pygmy pumas. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> and they, uh, I agree with your note, Stephen, that they are a little scary when they first appear. Yeah, I just, I just remember the first time watching it, I just found them really, <laughs> found them really scary. I don't know why. They are pretty intimidating. They're, they're trying to go after Momo, so. They're quite small and muscular yeah. i think that's probably what it is yeah yeah they're like cats but like i don't know on steroids or something and i think also because you're in momo's perspective right and momo is so little and like you're just like oh no <laughs> and he's running away from them and he wa winds up in the middle of a street performance and the momo theme comes back <laughs> yes 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 um i like that the performer just had a hat just there <laughs> Ready for Momo? <laughs> yeah, just rolls with it, you know, it's a wing lemur now. <laughs> so he does a little bit of dancing. There's a gif of this on Discord that I I found actually not long ago. And Rach was like, oh, that's coming up in the Tales of Passing Say <laughs> episode. He kind of gets out of that pretty quickly. Yeah, but then he gets captured. And so do the pygmy pumas. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> Pygmy pumas. <laughs> yeah, and this part was slightly traumatizing for me because I watched The Lady and the Tramp a lot when I was a kid, and the part when they get taken to the pound is really sad, and it reminded me of that. It made me really sad because he, like, rubbed Appa's fur against his head to comfort himself when he got put in the cage, and I was like, oh my gosh, why? <laughs> I think it's just disturbing that it seems to be like a meat kitchen just like they're just capturing these animals and using them for meat i mean 
Yeah, the diary should be shutting that down, you know, not bothering about. Steven has like a whole list of things the diary should be doing with AR. <laughs> oh, if only the um, Barsing Say would be a much better place. <laughs> I'm just putting myself up for leadership of the diary. Just... <laughs> You're going to take long things, please. <laughs> I could do a better job. <laughs> I, I agree. But thankfully, they're not there for very long. Yeah, thankfully, Momo has opposable thumbs. He can tie knots, he can open cages. Oh, yes. And he manages to free himself first. And then very kindly, he goes and frees the pygmy pumas as well. We love you, Momo. Yeah, it was fun getting an episode or part of an episode from his perspective. Yeah, I think it's really cute that he helps out the pygmy pumas, especially because I feel like he is a little bit cat-like. I've said that before. And then he even, I think at one point, he's like rubbing up against one of them as well. Yeah, yeah. They just start snuggling with each other. They become friends. Um, And then the pygmy pumas actually help him with something. Yeah, they lead him to Appa's footprint embedded in like this kind of square of the city. And then Momo curls up and falls asleep in Appa's footprint and I start crying again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a weird thing because it's just like a footprint in the middle of this area. Hmm. Hmm. Mysterious. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen and I knowing exactly what's going to happen. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes. So I know you two are just like, yes, hmm. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) I wonder. For me, I was just like, oh, this is strange. I wonder what happened to Appa. I know that the next episode is Appa's uh, Lost Days. And it's interesting that we end with this segment that is like from Momo's perspective. Mm. And then we're going into an episode that is going to be from Appa's perspective. Yeah. Poor D. Bradley Baker. He was really working overtime in these two episodes. (laughs) (laughs) He's so good. I feel like I don't give him enough credit because I just forget that he's there because he's so good at what he does. Right. (laughs) Mm. And there was a lot of animal work in this episode with all the zoo animals. Oh, yeah. The zoo as well. You're right. So, yeah, he just, he is very, very good. But I'm guessing then that we will find out what happened and why that footprint is there in the next episode. Maybe. <laughs> I was I was uh, waiting to see what Rach would say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that wraps up our stories, our tales. So I guess it's time to pick our MVP of the episode. Mm. Mm. I know who mine is. <laughs> yeah, I think I know who mine is too. Should we have Stephen go first because he's the guest? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. <clears throat> so I don't know if my MVP will be the same as yours, but um, I think for me, uh, Iro is uh, my MVP for this episode, just because uh, it, within his short segment, he just helped out so many different people. Yeah, and then just that whole heartbreaking bit at the end, you know, that <laughs> he's dealing with this tremendous loss. Um, but as as we were saying earlier, he still manages to um, just be there for other people rather than wallowing in his grief. So yeah, he's really inspirational and um, yeah, he's my MVP for this episode. That was my pick too. (laughs) And mine as well. (laughs) I'm glad we all agreed. (laughs) No, uh, I totally agree with you. I was thinking about it because I think each tale has its own MVP, right? In Mm. a way, 
Like, Aang is definitely the MVP of his tale. I think if we think about, like, who did the most good. Yeah. And also, I think because of, you know, the homage to Marco, I think it's nice to to make Iroh the MVP as well. Very fitting, I think. So, uh, I think it's time then for us to talk about our playlist. Go for it, Stephen. (laughs) So, I picked um, a song called Lifelines by Doves. I thought it fit quite well um, with Iroh in particular because it's got lines in the song uh, Somebody wakes to the sun in the sky and others are living with hate in their eyes. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like about someone who's being very positive um, rather than being, you know, negative and brought down by hate. Um, and it also has the line, Oh, the fires that you made and the earth that you walk. Um the ground beneath and the words that you talk. So it's talking about fire and words, which I think <laughs> um, <laughs> applies very much to, to Iroh. Yeah, so that's my pick. Nice, nice. I like that a lot. And I think maybe Rach should go next because yours is also an Iroh-related pick, right? Yeah, I really wanted to pay homage to Iroh because I think we've all agree that his was really like the standout segment in this episode so i chose man on fire by edward sharp and the magnetic zeros so the lyrics i thought fit really well with him in particular in this episode i'm a man on fire walking through your street with one guitar and two dancing feet only one desire that's left in me i want the whole wide world to come dance with me and it's really about how like this person has a lot of joy and I don't think it's necessary like dancing like it's a metaphor for like the joy that they have and they want people to come celebrate life with them and another part that I thought fit really well was come dance with me over murder and pain come and set you free over heartache and shame I want to see your bodies burning like old big sun I want to know what we've been learning and learning from. So I thought it was very fitting for Ira. Um, I feel like the odd one out now because my song isn't about Ira. (laughs) (laughs) I really wasn't sure which way to go. And I ended up going with uh, a Sarah Bareilles song. So that was nice because I love her. I picked Eyes on You. um, And the reason I picked this song is because I felt like it had a similar vibe to the episode because it talks about lots of people's different stories so some of the lyrics are for example um jesse's doing backflips molly's doing so well joey's got a new girl emily moved away and so she's talking about lots of different people's stories and then there are some other lyrics that i felt like kind of fit with the people in this episode in general because i feel like we have all these different stories and the one thing they have in common is that people are kind of relying on each other and so you know the the lyrics uh in the song continue they say the world's on fire the whole time we're trying to put out the flame life it gets louder now can't stop it won't slow down lost in this all i can do is keep my eyes on you And then the chorus is, I know the world turns around, I know the lights are going to go out, but until they do, I've got nothing to lose, I keep my eyes on you. So I just liked this song as kind of bringing everything together and this idea that these people all rely on each other and like the gang have each other to depend on and uh, they 
kind of keep their eyes on each other. And the same thing with Iroh and Zuko, you know, um, even though Zuko is kind of rude about it sometimes, he and Iroh kind of look out for each other as well. So that's kind of why I went with that song. It's a little bit more of a emotional one than like relating to the story. Okay, so I guess that brings us to next week's episode. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think the title pretty much explains it. But uh-huh. Suki's coming back, I, I'm sure you know. So yes! And yeah, it's Appa's Lost Days. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Appa, Appa is going to feature in it. Oh, really? Get your tissues. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I'm anticipating much crying. Yeah, I'm also, I think it's going to be interesting because I know this episode is like just from his perspective. And we got a little bit of, um, in Momo's story, I thought a cool thing was that we saw Momo, uh, he was listening to other people talking and it was just gibberish. And I think that's kind of cool because, you know, the way we see these animals is obviously not how they see the people. I think that'll be interesting to have that from Appa's perspective as well. Yeah, I think Appa's a little more sentient than Mona. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Aang is just like, hey, Appa, go fly these people across the Great Divide. And he's like, okay, man, I totally understood what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they're asking Momo to get water. water. And he's like, do you want this crown? <laughs> well, that that was the other time we saw Momo perspective, wasn't it? Um, where we heard, Momo, 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 Momo. That's right, that's right. I forgot about that. That was great. (laughs) I guess that brings us to the end of our episode. And thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Well, yeah, thanks so much for having me. (laughs) I hope you had a good time. Definitely. Awesome. Okay, so I guess I will close out by reminding you guys that we are on Twitter at Ember Sayers. And uh, we actually just started a Discord recently, which I think is something worth mentioning. And it's just a really nice, relaxed place where you can chat about Avatar and not have to worry about, you know, some corners of the fandom. And uh, we would love it if you would join us. Steven is on it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you can talk to him and to us. And the link to that is on our Twitter. So uh, if you're looking for that, you can find it there. We also have an email, emberislandsayers at gmail.com, for any questions, comments, suggestions. If you'd like to send us a review, we will read it out on the podcast, unless you don't want us to. And we do have an email from Brittany coming up that we didn't read this episode because we already have a guest, so we were like, we'll save it for another (laughs) You can find us on multiple platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, or even if you're not, uh, we would love it if you would leave us a review. A review would be really great, and it just helps other people find the podcast, especially five stars. That would be awesome. And with that, I guess I will tell you all to stay flaming. Stay flaming, everybody. Stay flaming.